Pastor Chan and I, and some of you probably don't even know what Pastor Chan is, and so that's why I'm so glad we're doing this. But Pastor Chan is the lead pastor of the Chinese ministry. We do not have a senior pastor at SCAC. The way we do it is we have this two-headed dragon, okay? So I'm the lead pastor of the English ministry. Pastor Paul is the lead pastor of the Chinese ministry, and we work together really well, and we love each other. And I'm um, just saying that's an awesome thing. That's a beautiful thing to have in, in the church. Um, so Pastor Chan's going to come up, and he is going to give us a little bit of, of history and, you know, how things got started uh, with, uh, at, with things here at SCAC, and then I'll finish up the rest of the message as we look forward to the future. Can we all give a big welcome to Pastor Paul? Thanks so much, uh, guys. I think, first, first of all, I need to answer the question, why is it so important? Um, to celebrate the 50 years anniversary of our church. Why is it so important? What is the value of that? I think when we survey uh, over 50 years the history, we may have chance to find that uh, the one, the holy one, and the mighty one, and the unfailing one, he is God. He is merciful. He is so merciful. And He is so faithful in all these years. Um, in the midst of us. If we find that He is so faithful in the past, maybe we can find that He is also very faithful at present and will be faithful and merciful in the future. And I think we may aware, we may aware God is so, uh, His unfailing love is so impressive to us. And His unfailing love can be our, our, our foundation of life today. We will not scare in our struggle anymore. If we are aware, He, our God, with, with an unfailing love in our, in, our, in our marriage, in our family, in our life, we can be more courage to serve Him and can be more courage to, uh, to stand firm in what we are and where we are. And I'm so grateful this morning to count our blessings for the history of our church. This morning, in fact, is the first Sunday uh, to celebrate the 50th anniversary of SAC. The theme of the whole year celebration is 50, year, 50 years and beyond, one house, many rooms. The first Sunday of our church was started when? On January 1st, 1968. In fact, two years earlier than 1968, a group, a group of ladies who were moved by, by the Holy Spirit. They come from different denominations, different churches. 
they gather together every week to have Bible study and to pray together. Their heart, their heart were filled with fire. Why? For they are more and more aware that more and more Chinese uh, people come to Seattle. Increasing number of Chinese. Their vision, they have a vision to reach out to more Chinese people. And at the same time, they had a vision to start a fellowship, not only Bible study uh, in, a, in a house. They would like to form a fellowship together, out from different denominations. And at the same time, in 1967, the Lord brought the pastor and Mrs. Duncan Dan, our founder, to Seattle. In fact, Pastor Duncan came to Seattle uh, for the purpose of taking care of his wife's health, the eye disease, with the invitation to stay and shepherd this fellowship. Pastor Duncan agreed and the worship was started on the first Sunday of 1968, should be the first day of January of 1968. As founder of our church, uh, Pastor Duncan uh, was famous. He was famous for his humorous and for his passionate to reach out to, uh, to many people, even for the newcomer. And his secret to develop the church uh, uh, to reason. His secret is he uphold the authority of the Bible. So he share, he share the Bible every Sunday. And at the same time, at the, at the same time, he insisted that not only the Bible attracts people, on the same time, on the other hand, the love of God attracts people. And his love, his heart was filled with the inner fire of the Holy Spirit. For that reason, that fellowship uh, draw many people come to, uh, to worship and to even to baptize, come to this fellowship. Then, uh, for that few years, the church uh, did not provide enough money for the salary of Duncan. Every time, the secret is every, every Sunday, um, people put some money in, in, uh, in the box of offering box. When you, op when you open, oh, just $7 this Sunday, or just $10 this Sunday, all collect. Oh, this is Duncan's, Pastor Duncan's salary. Every Sunday, open, few dollars, or $20. Oh, this Sunday have $40. Oh, all are your income. <laughs> Not enough, far less than necessary. But Mr. Duncan, Pastor Duncan and his wife, was faithful. They trusted God. 
for his providence, for his family. And very important thing, Pastor Duncan, be, uh, he pastored the church just for 10 years, and before he left, a very important move, he suggested this fellowship to move is in November 1974. He suggested the church officially to become a family of CNMA Church, Christian and Missionary Alliance Church. It is a very important move for the fellowship uh, with the umbrella, the embrace of the CNMA. Uh, the church and the fellowship become more structured, and the foundation uh, is founded on the uh, more sounded theological uh, foundation. And the church uh, moved on. In 1975, God called Pastor Seal, Brainerd Seal, served in our church in his age of 30. He led our church to a more well-defined administrative structure and expanding the youth ministry by establishing different fellowships targeted at various age groups. Pastor Seal left our church in 1982 and came back to serve in SCAC in 1989, God, God moved Pastor Seal's heart to build a genuine relationship with God by learning prayer, meditation, and discern the spiritual guidance of God. And it is important, this move is important. It later shaped our church, SCAC, as a community of seeking personal and intimate relationship with God. Since 1970s, for over 10 years, SCAC was seeking to find a suitable site for church. Actually, the successful purchase of the, of the, of, of the building was a miracle. Originally, this church, this site, Galilee Baptist Church, this site, uh, had no intention of selling. However, SCAC made a headline on local news when we offered to purchase the other site. The old Maple School was rejected. Was rejected. And, and since then, and maybe there is a spirit of frustration in our church for years. When Pastor Thomas here in Galilee Baptist Church noticed that, uh, uh, noticed that um, on the headline of the local news, and he called to which uh, our leader, this church, our leader, if we would be open to prayers uh, for sell, to sell and to buy this church, then later, after both parties, much prayer, and both selling and buying parties came to the same price. The price of your house uh, to buy this church. 
of the same price, how much? 800,000. 800,000. Maybe the same price, a little bit less than now, the price of a, of a house in Bellevue. Without negotiation, but both buying and selling parties have this number in their heart and brain. And they, and they communicate this number, bingo, same. Then this is a miracle. And we buy it uh, with much joyful. God has entrusted to us gifted people with bountiful resources. During 2003 and 2004, SCAC was able to launch both building expansion, a new wing. You, you see a, a new wing? Now it's the offices um, in, for English ministry, uh, English pastor and CM pastors. Uh, with the participation of different uh, members of us. People, especially the male, and they, they paint and they, uh, and, and they have different, they, they, did, they join different construction parts in the new ring. And the ladies, they prepare coke. And the job was after they, after they, uh, after their job, after they, after they, uh, maybe after 5 to 6 p.m., after their work, daily work, they came here to start the job, to build a new ring until maybe mid midnight. And the ladies prepare food for them. Oh, that's a very beautiful uh, picture. On the same, maybe the other year, we planned a church called Renton Chinese Alliance Church. This is called Double Blessings that uh, these few years. I came to SCACs for five years already. And I witnessed uh, the EM and CM, pastors and elders and GB, uh, Deacon Board member and brother and sister. I am impressed. I'm so impressed for the oneness and the unity of the church. Always we have different opinion. And different opinion even shape the church better for just one opinion. And the CM and EM, we not only have bridge uh, uh, the elder board, the GB, uh, the governing board. We have a good friendship. We have good friendship and personal relationship. Uh, Pastor Roy and Tang and Steve is a good friend of mine. And we share our personal struggle as well. Uh, even ministry uh, frustration, uh, even family uh, burdens. So, thank you. So, thank you, guys, uh, and thank God for the past fifty years, and we aware the unfailing love of Him. And this love uh, now becomes sparkle in our heart to become 
in the fire of us. And we can stand firm here and can be more confident uh, to serve him together. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, <clears throat> it's good. It's good. Thanks, Paul. Really, just wonderful. Great job, too. Great. Thank you so much. Um, and, and the future definitely is, is also what we're also looking forward to. And what we always need to remember is that the future is never built on just wishful thinking. Um, if it's, it's built on the decisions that we, we make today to commit ourselves to something, to stand for something, to say that my life is going to be significant for something. I, I can envision having a great Sunday. We're going to have a great Sunday service and hopefully have a great message or something like that. But none of that's going to happen unless I decided a week ago or more that I was actually going to commit to it. I'm going to pray. Uh, a lot of you are thinking about going to college and going to UW or whatever colleges of your choice. You envision getting there, but you already know. You're not going to get there unless you make some decisions in earnest of how you're going to act today. Uh, a lot of us are parents and we're raising young kids, and, or maybe you're, you're single and you're thinking one day you're going to get married, and you envision a great, close, connected family, or you envision having great kids, but none of that's going to happen unless you prepare in earnest today. And so when we're thinking about this 50th year, it, it, what it, this anniversary, what it's doing, it's reminding us that what we do today in our generation is shaping the church of tomorrow, the SCAC of tomorrow. What does God envision for our church? What does God envision for our individual lives? What kind of church are we building for our kids? What kind of church are we creating today that will reach the God seekers out there of tomorrow? And so I want you to know that God has a very specific and a clear vision for our church and for our lives. In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, I always go back to this one when, I, when it comes to the, just the vision of the church and where God wants us generally as a whole. Jesus preached one of his greatest sermons. Uh, it's recorded in Matthew. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And he gave it as a vision for our lives and what the church might look like. Now, it was a, it was a sermon that he preached, and it was like three chapters, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I am going to just give you the bullet points of things that he talked about, all right? Jesus said, it starts here. The first place was our hearts. It's on the individual level. It wasn't on the governmental level. It was not on a political level. Jesus said, where transformation change, where the, where the church is changed and where our individual lives are changed begins right here. He said, we would be so blessed, the Beatitudes, that we would be so, so fortunate, so we have this feeling of like so lucky that we'd be so happy, that we'd be so full of joy because of the ways that our lives have been impacted by the love of God. And through this love that's been birthed in us, that it would also go outward, that we would be so attractive, that we would be seen as the salt and the light of the earth. And that we would have this incredible love, not only just for your friends and family, but he said that you would be so transformed with love that you would have, here it is, you would even love your enemies. It's radical. Think about your worst enemy. Think about the person that you don't like. They might even be in this room. You might be married to them. I don't know. But 
Think about loving them, loving the person who's your enemy. That is radical, a radical transformation of the heart. He said that our blessedness, our love, would produce a love and passion and generosity for the poor. That is radical, as it is today, as it was back then. Because people who were poor back then, people didn't think about. People in high places and high power didn't think about those who were poor. That is a radical kind of love. And that our lives would be centered not around, this is radical, not around ourselves. But that our lives would be centered around the God of the universe, the good and gracious God of the universe and his kingdom and living life in deep relationship with God. Now, when you see all these things and you see like the vision of that, that Jesus preached this and he prayed for that, we just say like, I can't do that. Like, I'm not that type of person. I just don't have that capacity and love for me. You just need to remember this, okay? And, and don't say, oh, it's impossible, I can't do it. The reason we need God is because God is the missing thing that we need in order to be loving, in order to be more human. And so, of course, you can't do it on your own strength. You can't do it by yourself. That's why we all are in need of God. But there is this amazing capacity for the, of the human heart that is inflicted, that has, been, that has been wrecked by God, that God does something to show us the amazing capacity of the human heart. For, for a lot of people who are parents, you know this. You don't even have to be a Christian, and you can know this. Because as a parent, there's this um, crisis that a lot of us go through, at least I, I went through. See, when I married Angel, that was back in 1999. Angel, there's just the love of my life. I could not imagine loving anyone more than I loved Angel. I mean, she was just everything to me. And so a couple years later, after we got married, there was a baby coming along, and we were going to name her Mia. And in my mind, I'm just saying as a first-time father, there was this a crisis in my mind because I was thinking, we're going to bring someone into the world. But how could I love this child as much as I love Angel? Because I could not imagine loving someone more or with that much love, that fullness of love, and loving another person with that, that kind of intensity of love. So as an engineer, I figured it out. Well, logically, it works like this. I have a certain amount of love tank. I'll give half of my love to Angel, and I'll give half of my love to Baby. And it'll work like that. You know, hopefully it'll be enough, right? And for all you parents, we know what happens. When that baby comes out, what happens? Boom. Explosion of love. You thought your tank was this big? All of a sudden, that tank's just exploded. And you have all this love for your wife even more. And you have all this love for your child. You didn't know you had such capacity of love. And then a couple of years later, Mason comes along. I kind of forgot about everything. Mason comes along. Same crisis. Like, how am I going to love this second child with the same kind of love? Because I love Mia, and I love Angel, you know? And how am I going to love this, this third baby? Engineer. A third of my love goes to Angel. A third of my love goes to Mia. Then a third of my love will go to Mason. Like that, you know, that's how we think. It's, it's gonna, how is it going to work? How can we feel more love when we just don't think we have the capacity to do that? And then, of course, what happens, right? Mason gets born, and you hold Mason. And for every parent, the third child, fourth child, whatever, it's just like 
boom, nuclear. All those ways that we thought we didn't have enough love. And all of a sudden, just God does something amazing in the human heart. And some of you might say, oh, Roy, that's something biological. You know, that's just something biological that God just, you know, you're only talking about your family. Let me talk about, let me tell you about when I went to China. When I went to China, actually, when, before becoming a pastor, actually, I had never, no intention of being a pastor. Angel and I went to a seminary in order to be missionaries with the Southern Baptist International Mission Board. God changed my heart in between. I wanted, we were going, wanted to be missionaries in China. Finally went on my first mission trip in China, and that was in 2003 or 4. I can't remember. But anyway, all I know is this, is that when we got there, we did a prayer walk, and we were standing on a bridge, and... As we were praying, I was looking at, uh, uh, we were standing on a bridge that had a river, a powerful just river that was just running through it. And I heard God speak to me so clearly. And he said, Roy, this, the river that you're seeing, I mean, it was this really wide river, and it's just a lot of white water. It, just, it was just rushing through. He just said very clearly to me, this is my love for this city. This is my love for this city. You just, you just cannot stop it. And at the same time, he said, but there's this wall. There's this thing that's stopping this love from his love just spreading into the city. And that, that wrecked me. All of a sudden, boom, again. That's God's love. That wasn't just me. That's God's love for the city, and boom. You know, I only told a few people that, a few people this. But when I came back to SCAC after that mission trip, I was actually thinking about quitting SCAC. And actually going back out there and, like, doing that again, being full-time missionary. I only told, like, one or two people. A couple years later, uh, a couple years, yeah, a, a couple years ago, we were two, I was tutoring an after-school program kid, right? He was acting up. He was the worst in the group. Took him aside, brought him upstairs, third grader. And I said, hey, look, read this Bible passage. Uh, it's from Proverbs. It says, when words are many, sin is not absent. Okay, when words are many, in other words, when you talk too much, <laughs> sin is not absent. If you talk too much, you're saying stuff that you shouldn't be saying. So I was trying to, he's third grade, he's not going to get it. I just, you know, I'm always over, you know. Um, and so when words are many, sin is not absent. He could not read that sentence. He was in third grade. He could not read. He was in third grade. And in that moment, my heart was just wrecked, broken, boom, love, love for him, for our community. My kind of, I don't know, life, so to speak, as a pastor, and probably a lot of you relate to this too, there's just these certain moments where we come into contact, when we're following Jesus, when we're, we're hearing his word, we're on mission with him, we're doing what he says, there's these certain moments in our lives where our hearts just get wrecked, and all these, all these ways where we, we know their lives are small and all these ways we protect ourselves because we think our hearts don't have enough capacity of love. But when we hear God's word and then we actually practice God's word and we're with people, boom, God's heart for the lost, God's heart for the needy gets exploded and wrecks our world and wrecks our lives. And all of a sudden, all the limits and capacity that we thought that we couldn't handle, that we couldn't do, God steps and says, yeah, I know you can't do that. But it's his heart through us that can do that. That's why when he talks about this vision for us individually and for us as a church, 
He says, in order to be this, this people of love, you got to do these two things. And he says this. He closes with this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says in verse 24, chapter 7, Therefore, really simple, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, anyone who hears these words of mine, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Because it had at its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And obviously Jesus is talking metaphorically about the lives that we're building because we're all building a house. And the life that we're kind of collectively, corporately coming together to build as a church. And Jesus makes, Jesus makes it real clear. If we want this vision of the kind of love that compels us and propels us and that can build a church that will last 50 years and another 50 years, if you want a future-proof our house, there's two things we need to do. It's really simple. He says, you just got to hear. <laughs> you got to hear. You got to listen. And then you need to obey through practicing. Two things you need to hear by listening, and then you got to obey by practicing. Hear and listen. Let's say that together. Hear and listen. One more time. Hear and listen. That's what we got to do. Now, hearing, you know, it's been said that hearing is one of the most difficult things to do. Hearing can be one of the most difficult things to do. People always tell me, tongue always tells me, you know, Roy, uh, there's always a few junior high people here. They're on their phones and stuff like that. Even right now, there are some junior highs are on your phones, okay? It's really hard to hear. And then for those of you that are married, right, for those of you that are married, right, the reason we get in trouble with our spouses is because we always say, you're not listening to me, right? I get in flights with Angel because she says, you're not listening to me. And then, you know, I, I, you know, same thing. I'll be like, Angel, you're not listening to me. We go back and forth. And some would say that it takes a lot of love to listen to someone. In fact, some people would say it takes a lot of sacrifice to listen to someone. I hope that when you think about 2018, I hope that you will be people who say, I need to come and listen to the Word of God. And not just like, I want to listen like, I don't know, every other Sunday, I want to listen. You know, we come to church, God set aside this particular day, this particular Sabbath, this day, day of rest, not for pastors, but for everyone else. You know, but, but this particular day of rest, that we would come, we would rest our minds every day so we could be filled and we could learn from the Word of God. And, and so I hope for you that 2018 is going to be a lot of being filled with a lot of listening, a lot of sacrificial, transformative, really leaning in to what God is saying through the pastors, through what he's saying through his word, through what he's saying through his leaders, how he's leading us this 2018. He'll be filled with a lot of hearing and that you would do it consistently every Sunday. And then, then there's practice, this idea of practice. And practice is simple. Practice just means you got to try it. Practice means just try it over and over again. Try forgiving. Try having patience. Try reaching out to your neighbor. Try loving someone else, uh, the, the stranger that you don't know. And the idea of practice is, of course, is, it's not just, it's not to be perfect, all right? Don't, don't have, have that kind of standard, all right? The idea of practice is not perfection. The idea of practice is just to begin to build your skill 
That's all it is. It's to begin your build your skill. But Jesus also had another idea, a practice. See, <clears throat> when I was on uh, sabbaticals, one thing I did just for fun is I learned how to play piano. So I did that for five months. I took piano lessons for five months, right? I was pretty good. Right, Mia? Where's Mia? Right? Was I? Anyway, she's like, no, not that good. So I took it for five months just for fun, and I did okay. But it's been three months since I've been from sabbatical, all right? Three months. And in those three months, I have not touched the piano, right? So if I were to sit down at the piano and you ask me to, like, play something, play something you even learned. Mary had a little lamb or something like that. Actually, I would not be able to do it. Really bad, right? Especially bad for an Asian, wasted all that money. My parents would not be happy, okay? I get it. I get it, right? But see, that's the thing. I think Jesus, when he told us this idea and taught us this idea of that you need to, two things were simple that you need to constantly do. You just need to constantly hear and then constantly practice. And we think that, oh, practice, like, because you want to make us, like, to be perfect at something. No. Actually, practice, hearing and practice, you need to practice in order to maintain what you already learned. It's just to maintain what you already learned. Jesus is just very practical in what he's, what he's doing. And so, think about it. You will never hear a musician or you will never hear a professional athlete who one day they wake up and say, you know what? I'm so good at what I do, I don't need to practice anymore. You will never hear the Seahawks when it, becomes, when it comes around to the next season, especially when they start spring training <coughs> or whenever they train. Um, you will never hear them say, you know what? We are professional athletes. We're not just normal athletes. We're professional athletes. So as professionals, we don't need to practice anymore. We don't need to do those same drills that little eighth graders do to learn how to play football. You'll never hear that. They'll go and practice, and they'll be doing some of the same drills that little third graders are doing, trying to learn how to play football. Why? They're doing these things over and over again, not to be perfect, but just to even maintain their progress. So becoming the church of God, that God is creating us, is, is, he wants us to be, and the kind of people he wants us to be, people of incredible love, where we put ourselves in positions for our hearts to be wrecked. And for God's love to expand through us is by hearing the word of God. Just like Pastor Dang upholded scripture. Hearing the word of God and then doing it. In the 50 years of history at SCAC, God, uh, the theme that uh, Pastor Chan told us is, is one house and many rooms. And it's just so interesting when I think about these, uh, the, we always talk about the, this group of women and the, this group of women, and yet we, we're, we're standing on some of their faith, the work of their faith today, where we have two congregations, and yet our congregations within the Chinese and the congregation within the English ministry is so diverse. And it wasn't just for the Chinese. It wasn't just for the Chinese people. Now, we see a lot of Asian faces in this room, but we know that among Asians, we can distinguish between all the ranges of brown, right? We can do that, right? We know. And I've always thought, I'm just saying, I've always thought it was so interesting that on the, especially even on the English ministry staff, that none of us are Cantonese, right? This is a Cantonese kind of a base church, but I'm Taiwanese. My wife is Korean. Tongue is Vietnamese. Julie's Laotian. We have a uh, white uh, Caucasian uh, um, children's pastor, Steve, and then he adopted a Cambodian son. We actually just reflect Seattle. We just reflect Beacon Hill really well. One house, many rooms, not just for the Chinese, not just for people on Beacon Hill, but rooms to invite us all, invite others, 
invite others, others in. That's a beautiful thing to offer. There, there's, you know, when I was thinking about this, there was one, um, uh, there was a couple years we had that big, huge snowstorm. And, and Tung, do you remember this? Like, everyone's electricity was out. My electricity was out. And everyone went to Tung's house. It's like the whole church was there. It's like at least half the church was there. I mean, we just like, sorry, Tung, we're just coming. I brought my whole family to Tung's house. We stayed there a couple days. More people were coming. I felt so bad. I was like, you know what? I, you know, I can go rent a hotel room. So I, I think after a couple days, we went out. But, you know, Tung's house was one house with many rooms, and they were all filled. <laughs> and, um, gosh, shouldn't church kind of be like that, you know? Shouldn't church be this place where it's like, oh, we're all, we're all suffering out there. It's like it's a big storm out there, and the lights are out. It's a lot of darkness, but there's this one place, this church on the hill, that's got room for everyone, not just Chinese, but and it doesn't matter where you're coming from, but this one house that's this warm place, open place where you can just crash. You can crash here because you'll be fed. You'll be loved. Last thing, too, is that when we talk about um, the people who made the impact, the, the people who made this impact for, the, for 50 years and, and where, we, where we are today, we always talk about, when you start talking about to the, to the old generation and the people who were there, they always talk about this small group of women. I don't know the number, like six or seven, okay? But let's just say there were six. But when they talk about this group of, of, of women, they always talk about this, these, these five committed women who were on fire for Jesus, who had a passion and a vision for a church here that would minister to the Chinese and Asians in the Rainier Valley here on Beacon Hill. That's how they taught people to describe it. They never describe it as, oh, it was the four women and this one woman who came every other Sunday. Or they never describe it. It was, this, it was the three women, and there was two women who came to service once a month. <laughs> That's just not how you, they describe this group of people who helped build this church. It was these five committed all-in women who started the church. There were no, in other words, there were no spectators in that generation. There were no people who were going to be arm, armchair quarterbacks. There were no people who were going to kind of take church lightly. But they saw the vision of God and said, I'm all in for that. Every one of the core group was a player. There are no spectators. In, um, in 2002... Do you remember what you were doing in 2002? Because 2002 was a very, very, very important year. In 2002, then a University of Maryland Terrapins basketball team won the NCAA National Championship. That's why you should know that, all right? I am a University of Maryland alumni, of course. That was in 2002. I remember what I was doing. I remember where I was. I was in seminary at that time. And in all those years that I was in college, I went to every single basketball game. We were under NCAA sanctions at that time. I don't want to get into that. It's a painful part of my history. But, uh, you know, we were under sanctions at that time. I went to every single game, but we were on the way up. And finally, in 2002, it was in my seminary, and me, Angel, and then another friend of mine uh, from Maryland came over. We were watching the game together in my little tiny seminary apartment. And when we won, we were just, we were shaking the roof of the apartment complex. And we were running around, and we went outside. We started running around outside, and other people kind of came out, and they were just kind of looking at us, laughing at us, because they knew we were watching the game. Obviously, they didn't know we were from there. And this is one of the things I said. I said, you know what? 
This is one of the greatest moments of my life. After they won. This is one of the greatest moments of my life. But then there was like a little bit of crisis. Because a little bit later, I was like, wait a minute. My life ain't even half over. That's like one of the greatest moments of my life. (laughs) It's kind of sad. Because no matter how great that moment was, I was just a spectator. I really had nothing to do with what they were doing. I was just a spectator. And even how great it was what I was experiencing as a fan, as a fan, that pales into comparison to all the practices and the blood, sweat, and tears and just repetitive over and over again and all the games and all the, all the, all the wars and all the battles they had to play as a team. Nothing would compare of what I felt to the celebration that was going on with the team that actually did it. There's a big, big difference in witnessing history and actually making history. I hope that we might think, and every generation might think, that we might be the, the generation. We might be the, it, it was that 2018 congregation, you know, it was that, it was, it was that decade, you know, of, of that particular congregation. The things that they did, the way they committed to the vision of God, to hearing the word and practicing, the way that they went all out, that's what changed our church. That's why we have something that's thriving 50 years later. Because there weren't, in something, something about that generation, there were no spectators. There were no half-hearted Christians. There were no CEOs. In other words, you only attend church on Christmas and Easter only. CEO. Okay, there weren't any CEOs. Like, everyone was just all in. Because they believed in the faithfulness and the love of God, and their lives were wrecked because of it. What if we all got in the game, guys? What if we all got in the game? What if we all follow along with pastors included, where the Spirit of God is leading us? What if the English ministry and Chinese ministry get more and more on the same page as pastors and elders and leaders and the congregation that we get involved in the game on the same page? What an amazing city on the hill we would be. What an amazing shining light that our country, our city, our neighborhood desperately needs. What a beautiful, beautiful church that would be in another 10, 15, 25, 50 years later. I hope the Spirit of God is burning in your hearts, burning in your hearts, feeling the potential for a new capacity of love because of what Christ has done. For us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this moment today, this first Sunday that marks our celebration, kickoff of the 50th anniversary for SCAC. We thank you, Father, for the saints who've led, left this amazing legacy that is an example for us that the future is not built on wishful thinking, but that the future is built on those who believe, who really believe, who've heard the call of God and obey in their daily lives, in their daily lives. And 
I know in that moment of, of the day and in the moment, it feels like practice and we all hate practice. We don't like practice and it sometimes seems so boring. But filled and fueled by faith and with a vision for the future, God, I pray that we will be a church that as we seriously take on your call to follow you, to hear the word of God, and to practice that in those times when we're hearing and we're practicing, God, would you just wreck our hearts? God, bring us to those experiences, to those people where that really small heart that we think that we have gets broken and unleashed because the Spirit of God, because Jesus himself is breaking our hearts with what breaks the heart of God. So we pray, Father, for those, that type of faith and that type of energy and that type of passion and that type of love, Father, to follow you. God, for all of us, break our hearts. And I pray, Father, that this, you know, that there'll be something unique that you're doing where it's this generation, I don't know, this 2018 congregation, this whatever it is, where we've just so committed ourselves. You know what? I've got my own stuff going on, but I'm, I want to follow what God is doing as a whole. Yes, he's working individually in my life. But also I want to follow God collectively and be all in and not be a spectator and not just come on to church just when I feel like it, but to be deeply invested in hearing what God, how God is speaking to us as a congregation, as one body, and to be all in and not a spectator. So thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit way and the ways you continually convict us, Father, to follow you. And not because you're a slave master. We, all of this is coming out of freedom. And the freedom that comes from a heart that has been set free from sin and death because of the sacrifice of Christ and his blood, his blood that has paid for it all. Thank you, God. We praise you. We praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, church. So good.